0: Hello everyone, welcome to episode one of the Dropping Paradigms podcast. My name is Heath Hunter and I'm one of the co-hosts. And today we're going to be taking a look at The Last Dance.
1: What's up guys? Uh, Super excited that we're getting to this inaugural episode. This has been a long time coming. Um, I'm Tori Donato. I'm the other co-host. And uh, yeah, Last Dance, this this is going to be a good episode. And it's uh, fitting to start with since this was a year ago.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, Last Dance started April 19 through May 17, and dude, it was it was must watch TV in my house for sure. I don't know if you remember exactly what you were doing like when the first episode dropped. Uh, oh yeah,
1: I was I was quarantined.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I think most of us probably were quarantined, hunkered down, and there were no sports. There was not a lot of new TV on, and for me, like this was just you know perfect timing. I annoyed my wife for sure. I was probably like a, a kid after you tell them they're going to Disney and then they wake you up every single morning before you get to go asking you when you're actually going to go.
1: Oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I I had cooked
1: like all the sports meals and stuff, all the finger foods just to watch this show and and I was like, "Hey, I told my wife. I was like, "Hey, you you have to watch this with me. You're not going to regret <laughs> this. This has been like years in the making and this is literally the only sports thing on TV right now. So the world is watching this.
0: Yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting too. So my, my wife, I would consider her a fan of sports, not necessarily a sports fan. So she'll watch a lot of sports with me. But this definitely was much, was, much must-watch TV for us, uh, both kind of being in that heyday of the Jordan era. You know, I had the black and red pinstripe 23. I had a 45 jersey, a bull shooting shirt. And I remember, like specifically, sitting in my house watching the Bulls play the Utah Jazz for that Finals. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I, I was the same growing up. I I wore twenty three. I I had the little wristband thing on my forearm. Um, you know, when my parents could afford to buy me Jordans, that's all I wanted to wear. So, yeah. This 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 was a thing. When I first heard it was coming out, I was like, exactly like you. Kid in candy store, like I cannot wait. This was this was better than probably any any event any sporting event I've ever been to, real world or on TV.
0: Yeah, I and I like I specifically remember watching the show and hearing that iconic like Bulls intro music, yeah, and then just hearing the announcer from North Carolina and just like getting those those chills all over again. It was it was pretty awesome. I actually kind of wish that you know they still had those intros oh yeah cuz it was just i mean that was iconic whenever you heard that bulls theme yeah yeah you didn't even see no- anymore no there's nothing like that so all right man let's let's dive right in so what were your thoughts going in the first episode <laughs> watching this what kind of things did you you know get out of it you know yeah. drop that first dime for
1: us yeah 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 for sure so so um i think it was the first episode uh you know and obviously this is kind of centered around michael jordan but it's also just the Bulls' dynasty as well. Uh, and and one of the things that, that caught my attention immediately was Roy Williams talking about Michael Jordan. And so, uh, for those of you that don't know, Roy Williams um, just retired as, as the head coach of uh, North University of North Carolina basketball team. At the time that Michael Jordan was attending UNC, he was one of Dean Smith's assistants. And... Uh, as as Michael Jordan was graduating high school, um, he got invited to a UNC camp that they were putting on for some of the local players. And they had heard of Mike Jordan, as, as he was known at the time. And so he arrives to this camp, and uh, over the course of five days, he goes from being just a a known high school player, maybe a decent player, to um, the folks at North Carolina thinking that he's the best player in the country. Uh, just in five days. And then a little bit later on, In uh, The Last Dance, Roy Williams talks about the fact that Michael Jordan was one of those guys that really one of the only guys he's ever seen that could turn it on and turn it off. And he never freaking turned it off, according to Roy Williams. And so to me, the first time is what a first impression or, you know, how, how how do you make a great first impression? Because you look at Michael Jordan from the day he arrived at that UNC campus, just some random player in North Carolina. And then five days later, he emerges as the best player in the country like that is a hell of a first impression so the first time to me is is just thinking about first impressions and what 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 that does not only from a leadership and a culture standpoint but also also from a relationship standpoint what is what is what what do first impressions mean to you
0: yeah and so as you as I was hearing you kind of say that, one of the things that also i think goes in the same thing is when Phil Jackson met Dennis Rodman for the first time and Dennis, well, he, he specifically calls out like Dennis was sitting down, had all the nose rings and lip rings in and had like a hat down over his eyes. And Phil went up to him and was like, Dennis, you're going to stand up and you're going to shake my hand. And like for me, a first impression, a lot of times, you know, the first time you meet someone, you do the eye contact, you shake your hand and that can tell you a lot about a person just how um, engaging they can be, if they're giving you eye contact, if they're giving you the full name, you know, kind of their, their handshake and grip and stuff like that. So as you were saying that, that was kind of where my mind went. But I think the other, you know, big point is like you have to realize that as you go into meeting someone, that first impression, that will like within the first, I think they say like the 10, 15 seconds, like someone will already form their opinion of you, and if you're not on and ready to go for that first impression, it's going to be a lot harder to to kind of build up. You know, had Mike Mike Jordan at the time uh, come in and and not, um, I guess, shown out and not turned it on right away, probably wouldn't have that same impression, and that could have just started from that first ten to fifteen seconds, maybe that first shot he put up. Yeah, yeah, and
1: and i think that's 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 kind of one of the things too that sort of stands out to me is is the the thought that although your first impression is arguably the the most important impression you'll make on a person it's not necessarily the lasting impression that you'll make on a person and and i think you know even even though he probably did turn it on right away and caught some some folks attention that that, that first day I'm sure there were some people who were who were looking at that his, his first day at that camp and saying, Ah, hey, he had a great first day, but can he do it again? You know, what's what's his level of, of consistency or was this just a fluke? And I think that's that, that's also kind of an important nugget to take out from from this from, from this first dime here is uh your first impression is important, but every impression after that is almost just as important because of whatever impression you made that first time. So if, if, if you and I were to meet and I didn't, I didn't shake your hand, I, I didn't make eye contact, your expectation the next time that we cross paths is that it's going to be the same, but it's, it's an opportunity for me. Maybe I, I completely dorked up that first impression. It's an opportunity for me to now to, to almost erase that, that, that first impression. Um, and, and I think that's, that, that's something that sort of gets lost in translation sometimes.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. And, I don't know about you, but, you know, being married, like, I don't think it was my first impression necessarily that won over my wife, Same. you know, it was, it was kind of that, uh, Hey, she knows I'm awesome after that first impression. I'm sure she thinks I'm awesome anyway, but it was those, you know, continued courting of her. And now it's, you know, even as we're, we've been married for 11 years, almost, you know, it's that continued courting and that continued every day putting into that relationship and, and showing up and trying to show out, you know, for the, you know, just that she, so she will continue to love me, yeah, and you know, continue to make that that good impression and and show her that I'm in it for real.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's it's like it's never freaking turning it off, just like Roy Williams said, uh, you know, it, it's it's the same same thing with my wife, same, same thing in in any organization, uh, you know, when 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 you make that impression, it's important to maintain some consistency in in your level of effort and your level of engagement uh doesn't mean that you're not going to have off nights you know even even michael jordan had had off nights where he wasn't scoring the basketball um effectively and, and you know maybe maybe he was missing shots that that he usually makes, but he was still going a hundred and ten percent and I think that's that's the thing to take away from this is that you know you make that first impression. And whatever it is or whatever impression that, that, that you want to make for yourself, uh, be aware that y- it's your responsibility now to never turn that off. You know, it's relationships, culture, leadership. It's not something that we can turn on and off because the the effects of turning those things on and off um, are, are, are real. Um, they're far reaching. And so... If we understand that when we make these impressions, what we're putting out there for for other people to see and for other people to think about us, we have to live up to that standard that we've set for ourselves in that first impression that we made.
0: Yeah. So I think too, as he, as Roy was talking about that uh, and that first impression, he was kind of talking about how uh, he told Jordan, if he wants to be the best, he's got to work harder than everyone. And Jordan came in and he was like, well, I already work as hard as everyone. And Roy was like, no, no, no. You have to work harder than everyone. Yeah. And so that was the kind of thing where, you know, his first answer wasn't the right answer. But then Jordan came back and said, okay, I, I will work harder than everyone. And if anybody watched The Last Dance, like, I think that was a theme throughout is Jordan did work harder than anyone. Now, I want to be real and say, like, I don't, I don't think the success in life is always to try and outwork someone True. because there are going to be things that you're never going to outwork people. And you know, you will just be at work until you know, eight o'clock at night every night and not getting anywhere because the work you're doing is not necessarily good work. It's just harder work. Yeah. So you got to be, when we say work harder and we hear work harder, I think it's important to realize like it's, it's working harder at the things that are going to make you better at what you're doing. Not just working harder to say that you're working harder. For sure. And I think that is really what, you know, Jordan, his first impression, and kind of leads me up to my uh, first uh, dime that I found. Yeah, drop that dime, man. So Jordan was seen as the best player coming in, yet he was drafted third. So you had uh, two seven footers that were drafted before him. And it was kind of interesting how um, you had Walt Frazier, like a quote from Walt Frazier uh, during the draft is, he really needs to realize he isn't one, so he can't carry a team. You had Mark Eaton say, there's no such thing as a one-man team. You cannot come in expecting one person to come in and change a team. And I thought that was really interesting, and, and kind of the question that I posed to myself just thinking about it is, can one person change a culture? And there was a really good, uh, I guess, scene and kind of talk with Jordan when he first came to the Bulls, his rookie season, they're on the road. And you have what's called, like, the Bulls Traveling Cocaine Circus. (laughs) So I I can't even imagine, like, being a rookie, being Jordan, who at the time said that, you know, he didn't smoke, he didn't drink. He was at North Carolina, and they ran a clean program from what he said. And all the books and stuff I've read on Dean Smith, like, I don't think any of that would have flown with Dean Smith. Yeah. So he, like, you know, knocks on the door, and they kind of let him in after a little bit. And he said pretty much the entire team is in there, you know, doing cocaine, you know, with, uh, you know, half naked women, just, just a complete mess. And I thought it was very interesting how, you know, he knew that was wrong and I guess kind of took it upon himself to start changing things. And he talks about how he came in realizing he was the lowest on the totem pole, didn't necessarily have a voice, which I thought was really interesting. Because I don't know about you, but I think most people when they look at, you know, trying to change a culture or be a leader, they automatically think they have to yell and scream and like be that loudest voice. Yeah. But that isn't that isn't true and that isn't what he did. So he kind of talks about how in the third game, uh, they were down in the third quarter and previously, you know, the team would have just probably given up, right? They're they're already <laughs> in that hotel room, you know, smoking and drinking and, yeah. and doing whatever. But Uh, the coach at the time allowed Jordan to take over the game. And it was from that point on that I think the Bulls, at least in Jordan's eyes, the Bulls and the rest of the NBA realized that he wasn't going to let them lose and that one person could start to to change things. Because now, even though we're down – we're gonna go at this, we're gonna, you know, nug away at this deficit and we're gonna try and take it. So what are your thoughts on one person being able to change a culture? And, you know, one person that isn't necessarily the leader either. He became the leader, obviously, but he wasn't the leader. He was the lowest man on the the totem pole, as he said.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I think it's it's for sure possible. Um I think you know when when you're looking at somebody like Michael Jordan, and obviously we have so much information that we know about him now, and and about just his his mindset and the way that he approached things. It's it's easy to look at him and go, oh well, of course Michael Jordan changed the culture. He's Michael Jordan, uh, you know. But I'm Joe Schmo, you know. I don't have any influence. I don't have any impact. I I can't change the culture. It's just me. And I think that the only difference between Michael Jordan and Joe Schmo is that Michael Jordan never told himself that he couldn't do it. Uh, and Joe Schmo is probably constantly telling himself or herself that they can't do it. So I think being able to change a culture and just being one person is is 100% doable. Uh, and... and I think you can kind of see that through, through, you know, history of obviously with The Last Dance, but, but just through, through other organizations that, uh, completely transformed themselves. Uh, I, I think of a book like Turn the Ship Around, where you have one, one guy and he happened to be, be, be the de facto leader, leader, but it wasn't the fact that he was the leader of, of, the, of the naval ship being the reason that he changed the culture. It was it was how he he went about his interaction with with other people, and and I think that's the same thing that M, that MJ did, you know, because you can talk all day. He he could have talked all day as a rookie and said, "Well, hey, if you just give me the ball, we're gonna win," or "If you just let me play my game, or you just let me take over the game, we're gonna win." But he had to earn that respect. He 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 had to be able to actually show that not only. Did he believe in himself enough to 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 change the culture but but show that he was willing to go it alone um, even if nobody else was and I think that's that's one of the huge things when it comes to one person changing a culture like you're out there by yourself if if yeah, everybody it can else scary yeah, yeah if everybody else is out there and they're marching one way and you're the lone person who decides to march the other direction, that is. That is a daunting task, but 100%, I think it can be done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And who recommended the uh, Turn the Ship Around book to you? Do you do you remember? <laughs> I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was
1: actually you who, who recommended the book. Great book, yeah, by the way. Yeah,
0: we'll, we'll definitely drop that down uh, in the notes for the podcast. If you haven't read that book, it's a great book. You don't have to be a member of the military to get some of the lessons out of there. But no, I, th- I think that's perfect, right? Like it's what that book did was it empowered the people below the leader, just like the coach empowered Jordan in that third quarter to go after it and to go win and kind of be that, that turning point. Cause you know, a lot of people think that it's, it's the leader that's going to change the culture. And I think the leader can start to change the culture, but it's not until the people underneath that de facto leader getting on board that the culture is ever going to change because you can scream from the highest mountain and loud and as long as you want. But if the people underneath are not willing to, to see that change, it's not going to happen. But if you start, you know, that one person starts to change, it leads to other people and you, you, slowly get more and more people on board. You said you're marching that other direction. You start, you have people looking around be like, why, why is Tori walking that way? Like, does he does he know something? I don't know. Maybe I should go over that way. Um, so it's kind of uh, kind of interesting and yeah, just another I don't know another interesting fact of you know don't don't be scared and don't think that you can't change a culture. You have the power within you as long as you're willing to put in the time and put in the effort. You can start to change those things. And if you have a bad leader, you can be that person that changes the culture even without the leader sometimes. Because uh, I, I, I'm a firm believer in a good culture with within the people can overcome a bad leader, but a good leader can't overcome a bad culture. They can try, but if they can't get the people on board, they're gonna they're gonna struggle. You guys just hope you guys got that.
1: That was that was a double dime <laughs> that that Heath just dropped there. Uh, ooh, that was a good one. I like that. I'm I'm. I'm definitely gonna steal that. appreciate it. appreciate it. Um, yeah, so so you know we go through through you know that that sort of first first time where where Jordan starts to become the de facto leader of the team. And then you know we we're watching episodes of last dance and then it it's kind of fast forwarding and re, and rewinding as as they go through their first three peat and then their next three p. And on the way to their next three peat obviously they have to reload the team they bring in. Dennis Rodman they they bring in uh which coach. which was an
0: awesome story just to learn. Oh yeah. Like Dennis Rodman, Detroit Pistons bad boy. Now he's going to be playing for the Bulls, Yeah. like hated in Chicago. I don't know if you remember that part, but that was like a huge like ordeal. Oh yeah. I the remember. entire like community's like, "What? You're going to bring this toxic player in to like be part of your system?" They yeah. thought they thought Phil was was crazy and I I mean, it worked out, but yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it absolutely did. But you, you yeah, they bring in Rodman, they bring in Tony Kukoc, uh, another player they bring in is Steve Kerr, and uh, this this kind of gets gets me to, to my second dime here, uh, you know. So obviously, widely widely publicized that Steve Kerr and, and Jordan have a fist fight, and I think most most of us who who follow sports kind of knew that that was a thing before the Last Chance came
0: out. Yeah, we, we knew it was a thing. We thought Steve
1: Kerr was crazy. Yeah, yeah, we thought he was nuts, <laughs> out of his mind, right? And so, what's interesting is that, you know, two years before Steve Kerr hits hits the big shot uh, in Game Six, I believe it was of
0: of, of the '97 Finals um, against Utah, which gives us one of the best quotes of sports history of all time when they're at the trophy celebration. Do you remember? Oh that? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Steve. Steve. Steve talking about in the huddle how the play was drawn up for him, and it clearly was not drawn up for him. Yeah. they just left him open because they never, in in their wildest dreams, imagined he was going to get it. Sorry, man. Yeah, no, Had to that, bring that up because that is that one of still... the all
1: time great s- sports quotes yeah. for sure. Um, you know, but so so two years be, before that shot is made is when this fight takes place, and it's during preseason. You know, Steve Kerr is is a new addition to the to the team, and and by this point. MJ has kind of gained a reputation to be really hard on his teammates, even even demonstra- demonstrative. Big uh, word there. Big word there. Yeah, yeah, big word. Uh, <laughs> go look that one up in Google. I'm <laughs> I'm not even sure I know what it means. Uh, but Phil Jackson puts Steve Kerr on MJ during practice, and of course the 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 first team is just killing the second team. Steve Kerr's on the second team. MJ's on the first team and MJ's talking all sorts of trash and Steve Kerr is is starting to get pissed off because you know they they they're getting their asses kicked but you know he's also getting trash talked to him and all of a sudden Phil starts to call these you know really really light fouls on Jordan as he's guarding Steve Kerr and Zen Master
0: starting his yeah, work
1: yeah yeah Zen Master starting the work trying trying to develop these relationships between you know the the incoming players on the Bulls and and the veterans out of there. Uh and so Jordan starts getting upset and he ends up fouling Steve Kerr pretty hard and he says, Hey, now that's F and foul. So Steve Kerr hauls off and just punches him right in the chest. <laughs> right? Little old six foot three, you know. Yeah. I don't know, the, barely two hundred. The, the white Kerr. guy that gave this
0: scrawny white kid like, Man, I can play in the NBA someday. Yeah. Hauls off and
1: punches the Michael Jordan right in the chest in practice. Yeah, this is no longer Mike Jordan. This
0: is this is the
1: Michael Jordan, the GOAT yeah. this time. Yeah. And so Michael Jordan just punches him straight in the face. <laughs> uh, and Phil Jackson throws him out of practice. So what we have here is a new relationship between teammates that has literally come to blows, literally, a fist fight. And then fast forward two years later, it results in Michael Jordan having full faith and confidence in Steve Kerr to hit that shot. You yeah, know?
0: they drew up the play for him. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you see the scene in The Last Dance in the Huddle where where, where Jordan's telling him, hey, Stockton's going to come off and double me, so be ready. And Steve Kerr says, hey, you know, my 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 heart dropped. You know, I couldn't breathe for a second, but then I was like, hey, I'll, I'll be ready. Uh, and... To me, I think the question that I pose to myself is why is it that some relationships that come to blows and we, we can say literal blows or maybe just just metaphorical blows? Why, why do some relationships um, result in a stronger bond, more confidence, more trust, more faith in you know between those individuals and other relationships completely fizzle out?
0: That's such a, that's such a deep like good question. Um, man, it's, it's tough to like, you know, think about, you know, relationships that you've had that you've maybe tried the, the tough love and it didn't work out or relationships that you didn't try the tough love and and it it didn't work out. So first of all, I can't imagine like punching Michael Jordan, but, (laughs) but I mean, beyond that, like, man. It, it's it's deep and it, it's it, it's kind of the the thought that you know sometimes your your relationship needs a reset. And it's it's not a reset of like you need to both go you know far distances away from each other. But you know sometimes you got to have that that proverbial fist fight. Like I don't think either one of us are condoning punching someone. No, we're not. <laughs> we're not. But like sometimes having that you know, tough love, that discussion, even, you know, dare I call it a fight, actually brings you closer because you've been, you know, holding back some frustration or holding back something from that relationship that you needed to get out in the open. So it's kind of the way to, you know, potentially, you know, do that. And I think you can can definitely grow from that. And sometimes that same thing that's been bothering you and that you bring up, you realize like that person's never going to be able to change. And that thing is always going to be there. So you now decide, do I want to be around that toxic thing, that thing that made me want to fight? And, you know, so I think it's it's twofold. It can bring you closer or it can bring you to the realization that you need to stop that relationship. Yeah. Or quit that relationship. Yeah. You're, no, no. Those are great points, man. Those are great points. Um, I think
1: the things that I pulled out from from that Steve Kerr-Jordan fight that that I think we can relate to any relationship is that sometimes adversity in in relationships can reveal a person's commitment to what that relationship is about. That's good. And you look at Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan, both of them only wanted one thing. To win, and Phil Jackson knew this. I think Michael Jordan knew this about himself. Steve Kerr knew this this about himself, and about Michael Jordan, and about Michael Jordan. But Michael Jordan didn't know that about Steve Kerr. Yeah, Michael Jordan didn't know if Steve Kerr wanted to be on this team because hey, we're the Bulls. We're the we're the best show in the NBA. Uh, You know, I'm 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 going to get some time on TV. You know, he didn't know what what Steve's real intent for. For, for joining the Bulls was. Uh, and I think through that fist fight, you realized very quickly, Michael did anyway, that Steve Kerr wanted to win just as bad as he did. Only difference was that Steve Kerr wasn't as physically gifted, obviously, as as Michael Jordan was, but the same competitive fire that, that Michael Jordan had, I think Steve Kerr had. Because anybody who's crazy enough <laughs> to punch the goat... Yeah, in practice, has got to have a competitive fire out of this world. And I think you see it now with Steve Kerr on the sidelines as the as coach of the Golden State Warriors, how fiery he can get sometimes. So I think when you're looking at relationships, sometimes you have to go through that adversity to find out whether the other person or the other people you know, that you're engaging in this relationship with are just as committed to the goal as you are. Yeah. Uh, and if that holds true, then I think that's where you, you see a, a new level of respect and trust and, uh, faith in one another versus when adversity hits and you, you see that, Hey, I am, I'm committed to still winning, but this other person isn't. Then that's I think sometimes where you see the relationships that start to fizzle out because if you're not on one accord and and you know you you and I both both know this being being married men you know if if we're not on the same page with our wife about where we want to go as a family or what we want our relationship to be then there's always going to be some sort of rift between us.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think, so this probably brings up maybe a little foreshadowing as well, like another pretty famous uh, altercation in basketball when a young Kobe Bryant uh, went after Shaq yeah. uh, early on. I think it was his rookie season, uh, and that's another, you know, I think Kobe was like six, 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 eight, something like that. Yeah. Shaq seven, one. you know, just a mountain of a man, and, and Kobe went after him. And I think it was the same reasons that you talked about, right? Like Kobe had this Jordan-esque fire in him. And he didn't necessarily see that from Shaq, and I think that a lot of their relationship was kind of like that because Shaq never came in, you know, playing weight, you know, yeah. for the preseason or anything like that, and their relationship never really became cohesive. But we'll save that. I know you and I both are big Kobe, yeah, Mamba mentality fans, so yeah, I, yeah. I we'll, guarantee will definitely have be, an episode for that. Yeah. So uh, the next uh, kind of thing I want to bring up. Uh, is the platinum rule? But before we get into the platinum rule, uh, let's take a little quick break, and we'll be back in a minute. All right, welcome back, everyone. It is uh, now time to get back into our next dime. And as I stated right before our little break, there I was going to start to bring up the platinum rule. And I'm not platinum rule. Yeah, I'm not talking about the Barney Stimson platinum rule and like how I met your mother. Or like, I think dating women or something like that. That is not what I'm talking about. (laughs) So I'm talking about the the Platinum Rule, similar to the Golden Rule, but a little uh, spin on it. So do unto others as they would have you do unto the M, not as you would have them do unto you. Maybe a little simpler is uh, treat people the way they need to be treated, not the way you need to be treated. Uh, Which I think is, you know, it's a concept I learned, I think, two uh, years ago. And I haven't like forgotten it since It's been um, definitely kind of part of my lexicon and something I try and you know, always bring to, to people as leaders. And I, I think it's a great lesson to kind of think about and learn in today's society with all the you know angst and just drama and issues that are in society. If we just treat people the way they want to be treated, things are gonna be so much easier and so much better. Yeah, that's a great point. So how does this all relate to Last Dance? Well, this relates to Last Dance with uh, one of the uh, most interesting characters uh, that we talked about a little bit earlier, (laughs) Dennis Rodman. I I will say if you haven't read his autobiography, I think it's an autobiography, uh, highly recommend it. Just look for the white cover with a half-naked man laying across a motorcycle (laughs) with a basketball kind of covering up his uh, manhood. Uh, Great book. Uh, but very interesting read and in, in so much as, like, Dennis Rodman, like, was in the NBA, but was ready, was sitting outside of the arena with a shotgun, ready to take his own life. Like, had everything, but still had, you know, some issues and some demons that he was trying to deal with based upon his crazy, you know, childhood. And I think, you know, we kind of saw the Zen master... Uh, Phil Jackson you know, introduced the Platinum Rule. I, I, maybe he knew what he was doing. Maybe he knew it was a Platinum Rule. Maybe not. I never uh, want to doubt anything that uh, Phil Jackson did just because I, I think he's uh, a very interesting case study and probably another episode on, on Phil Jackson and being the Zen Master uh, yeah. down the road. I promise not every single episode we do is going to be about basketball. <laughs> uh, both of us are basketball fans, but we will uh, kind of venture out um, but as we talked about earlier like Dennis Rodman going to the Bulls was not a popular decision not at all like the basketball world was kind of upside down why would you bring this guy in and i'm sure jordan was even kind of questioning like why would you bring this guy in who was part of the Detroit Pistons bad boys who like were the nemesis you know one of the nemesis in the east uh, for the for the bulls uh, but and, and rodman like during his interview and his episode, I want to say it's like episode three or four where we start to get into the Rodman story. You know, he talks about it's it's more than just basketball for him. The basketball was easy; it was the public pressure, the uh, media pressure. Yeah. And now, like he was going to get turned up because he's going to the Bulls. Like they are the show in town. He's going to be part of that. And oh, by the way. You know, he's wearing wedding dresses. He's got the crazy hair, which I don't know about you, but like as a kid, I always wanted to like dye my hair like Dennis. Oh yeah, for sure. And it was, it was never going to happen. and never looked near as cool as, you know, he had it, but it was always uh, fun to dream. But it was, it was interesting to hear him kind of talk about those pressures and then like kind of hear the team and hear some of the stories. So like Steve Kerr said, like, we all understand Dennis, and how he had different needs than the rest of us, which I think was awesome, right? Like we all see Steve Kerr as this, you know, head coach and, and you know, he's done great things with Golden State, but I think a lot of his skills, like even date back to then when he was just a player and, you know, the probably the third or fourth guy off the bench where he even saw that, you know, some people needed to be treated differently, and, and that's okay. And so... Uh, The story kind of goes, this is later in kind of their their last run season. Scotty's out, and uh, Dennis gets ejected from one of the games. And you kind of see this turning point, and MJ talks about how Dennis went to, I think Dennis and MJ are, are interviewed, and they talk about how Dennis Rodman went to Michael Jordan's room, knocked on his door, and asked him for a cigar. Yep. So... One like one way you know Dennis Rodman is different, and that MJ knew it and was okay with it was he didn't ask for an apology, but he knew that Dennis coming to his room, knocking on his door because he never did that was Dennis's way of saying like, hey man, I know I messed up, uh, I'm sorry without saying I'm sorry, but I'm here and I'm here for you, and it kind of goes uh, on that you know from that point on that was kind of the turning point for Dennis. He was a model citizen as they uh, they say and didn't get kicked out of any more games and became that person that Jordan could rely on.
1: Yeah, and they started winning cuz I think before that they had like I don't know it was like a, a 9 and 7 record or something. And this yeah. was the 72 and 10 Bulls coming off of that coming off of that 72 and 10 season. So yeah. uh yeah, yeah, it was a big deal.
0: Yeah, it was and it was it was interesting to see, you know, Dennis kind of realizing that he needed to step up, stepping up, Jordan realizing it and then kind of what happened after that so that took a toll on Dennis. Scotty came back and Dennis knew like he needed to, to get some you know relief and so where does he go? Yeah well so he asked for a vacation <laughs> like before he even go like so one like good on him for asking for a vacation which I think is is another little like I don't know half dime if you will yeah like realizing you're in a bad place. And going and asking for help. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do not condone going to Vegas and going on a, a run like Dennis Rodman. But I do think the fact that he went to Phil and said, hey, coach, like, I need a vacation. And then Phil realizing that he needs a vacation and MJ being like, you're going to let him go on vacation? So yeah. I, I think that was that was an interesting kind of point, but like you then had you know Phil be like, "Yep, it's going to be okay. We're going to give him seventy two hours, and he's going to come back with a team." Well, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, it, it was more <laughs> like eighty some hours, and Jordan had to go like knock on his door in Vegas to get him out of bed, and then like the next couple practices were pretty <laughs> hilarious. Where yeah, he, he like shows up in <laughs> pajama pants and everything. Uh, but but like. What I thought was really interesting in all of that is as soon as he got back with the team, they all welcomed him back and they all you know got right back into it. They didn't they didn't uh, treat him differently. Like, oh man, like you're a mental case, like we can't deal with you. You just you just stay off the sideline. It was like, hey, this guy went and got his mental health back into shape. Again, don't condone this as a way to do that. But for him, this worked. And it was the platinum rule applied from Phil and from the team that let him go do this, came back, and now they go, you know, on this uh, next, you know, kind of big run. But, like, to me, it's just, you can apply the same thing to your to relationships for me, like applying this to my kids. So I've got two daughters who right now are eight and four and I can't treat them the same. They don't respond to the same discipline, to the same praise, to like even the same quality time. Right. You know, I don't know if it's like the love language kind of thing that you can bring in there. Yeah. But each one of them, you know has we have to do dif- we have to do things differently to get them to respond in positive, you know, manners.
1: Yeah. Man, that's um that's really great. And I, I I'll be completely honest with you and and with the listeners. I did not know what the platinum rule was until right now.
0: Yes. So so, so
1: so this is a huge dime for me personally. Now I'm like, "Oh man, I need to go back to my house and do this with my four kids." But I think what you said is is really telling about not only the culture within that Bulls organization, you know, that sort of Phil Jackson was was shepherding, um, you know, the leadership of Michael and Scotty and and the rest of those veterans, but also just the value that they put on the, the relationships that they would need to have to get them over the hump. Because they all knew this was the last dance. They all knew this was the last time that they were going to have a shot at doing something special. And repeating, you know, the second time in, in eight years. And I think that being able to treat somebody the way that they need to be treated, like you said, is, is such a nuance in the rule that we've been told, I don't know, since we were kids, that it really would make all the difference uh, at home, at work. Really, wherever you are, but I think the the only way that you understand how that other person wants to be treated is you really
0: got to get to know them. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I was th- I was thinking that same thing. Like that's that's the key, right? It's and, and that's what Phil did. That's yeah. what MJ did. Yeah. I just yeah. I think you you have to build that relationship before you can realize how people want to be treated. And and I don't I'm not saying that the golden rule is bad. Right? I, I think that's a good kind of going in game plan. If you don't know someone, like treat them at least the way you want to be treated. And most of the time, that's cordially friendly. But once you get to know that person, and you as a leader, you as someone that's building a culture, you as someone that's building a relationship, should be getting to know that person and should be uh, treating them. And I know, like, I struggle with this still. Like, you know, we're talking about this. I know the platinum rule. I struggle with my kids, and I definitely struggle with my wife because. We have very different love languages and a lot of times, you know, when I'm, when I'm trying to get something or just trying to like even be sweet sometimes, like I default on my love languages and the things that I want and project them onto my wife and realize like my my wife doesn't actually want me to touch her. Like, you know, that's, that's my, like physical touch is one of my love languages. Yeah, Yeah. No, like dude, she just wants me to go do the dishes. Like, fold the laundry. Yeah. Like, for her, that, like, that will make her way more happier, happy, way more happier, <laughs> great, great English. So you're going to learn, learn a lot of great English skills on this podcast <laughs> as well. Absolutely. Uh, but no, like, just doing something as simple as that is actually way better and way more loving and may way, uh, she's a lot more receptive to that than, yeah. you know, anything else. So. Yeah, and, and I think
1: the 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 other thing that you touched on with, with this whole Dennis Robin piece of it is his ability, uh, and his courage to actually say, This is what he needs. This is what he wants. I need a vacation. I've I've got to recharge. I, you think about it, how many people you know, we just talked about you have to be able to get to know somebody in order for you to be able to treat them the way that they want to be treated. But it's also I would, I would argue a little bit of their responsibility to help you understand how they want to be treated and for them to be able to communicate that to you because we're not mind readers. Yeah. Like, you know, I I can't tell what my wife wants when she's looking at me and looking somewhere in the room and I'm like, ah, there's a thousand things in this room. Is she looking <laughs> at the laundry basket over there? Is she looking at the kids? Is she looking at the TV? Is she looking at the water bottle? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so it's one of those things where, you know, kudos to Dennis Rodman for being able to say what he needs. And I think that's, that's another thing that could kind of speed up that, that relationship and, and, and help the platinum rule take shape a little bit faster. If I know what you need, because you've told me how you want to be treated or what you need, then it's a lot easier for me to now. Do that or for me to speak your love language if I if I know without a shadow of a doubt what your love language is. Not saying that I'm gonna get it right every time because I still don't get my love my my wife's love languages right every time and I know them. Yeah. You Um, and me both, man. You and me
0: both. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think too, like you can apply this to leadership and to the corporate world as well. So a lot of places you hear about doing personality tests and um, having the the folks that work for you or with you kind of lay out you know how they learn best how they are motivated all of those things so that you as a leader you as a friend now can kind of get to know them and i don't know about you but like hanging out with the bros like most of the time i don't i don't ask them what their love language is yeah, uh, yeah. it's not something it's not, that, it's not a
1: common question that yeah. i ask either
0: <laughs> but like you can ask some questions that like you know get to understand what's going to help them if they're having a bad day you know, you've got some friends that, you know, maybe they don't, they're not married. They're a single dude. You know, hey, he needs, you know, somebody just to come hang out. Or you have, a, you know, a bro that's uh, married and, you know, he needs somebody to watch the kids so that he and his wife can go, you know, reconnect. Something like that. But you've got to know and understand those people and kind of what they, what they need. So I think this is, you know, a great lesson from... Building relationships, being a good leader, setting a good culture—kind uh, of advantage. So, yeah, Platinum Rule. Go check it out. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of great, uh, just Google resources on on kind of learning and understanding the, yeah. the Platinum Rule. No, that's awesome stuff. That's awesome stuff. All right, man. So I've got one more dime, uh, at least for this go round of yeah. the Last Dance. We may revisit this because. Uh, there's so much. There is a lot. And I, I don't know, just kind of rewatching watching it uh, for the second time through recently. I, I loved it as much the second time as I did the first time. I, I didn't have that like giddy child feelings that I did the first time, but it was still just so much nostalgia and so much to remember. But uh, the last time I got, uh, so uh, Mark Vincel, I think I'm saying that right, uh, the author of the book Rare Air which of course is about his airness, Michael Jordan had some interesting things to, to say about what made Michael Jordan or what makes Michael Jordan so special. And he says MJ's gift was not that he could jump high run fast or shoot a basketball, but it it was that he was completely present, Hmm. which I, I thought was like profound, uh, because I knew, like, having having learned a lot and, you know, been interested in, in a lot of what Phil Jackson does as a Zen master. You know, a lot of his things that he did with the, the Bulls and then with the Lakers was trying to get people to be present. Like, meditation sessions, all of that kind of stuff. But I thought it was interesting that Jordan kind of had that even before, you know, being with Phil. And Phil probably honed it. But I think that's one of the toughest things in today's society is to be present. 100%. We've got cell phones, we've got TV, we've got access to just information overload, and we forget about what's directly in front of us. Like even driving, right? Yeah. Like dis- distracted driving is now a thing because we're so caught up in wanting to, like, Respond to a text message in in 30 seconds after getting it or you know Making a phone call that doesn't need to be made when you should just be present in driving but I think what I kind of took away from this was No matter how Good you are or how much you know about someone else or about something It doesn't help if you're not present in, in the moment yeah. And and to me like that was a profound moment of okay, what and a reminder, what do I need to do to be more present? And I'm probably never going to have that Michael Jordan presence. But if I can continue to remind myself that I need to be present, I can continue to kind of to grow in this and get better. And I like I mean, I think about all the times I've been on my phone instead sort of like being with my family. Yeah. (laughs) You and me both, man. You and me both. Like just watching T V, telling the kids to be quiet. Like, why? Like go be with the kids. Like be present in that in that moment. Or sitting in a classroom, sitting in a a leadership conference, sitting in, you know, whatever, being on my phone or daydreaming and not not being present.
1: That's huge. That's uh It's funny. I actually have on on my phone I've got these alarms that are set throughout the day with with sort of the three three words that I want to try to ground myself in for for 2021. And one of them is present because like you, like all of us there's so much stuff going on between my ears at any at any given moment that I find it extremely difficult to be present. Uh Especially when it's when it's not things that I am that I want to put my focus on in in that moment. So if I'm at work and I'm you know running through emails and all that sort of stuff, my mind is more oftentimes than not somewhere else because I don't really want to be checking my email. Yeah, I I I don't really feel super excited about checking a bunch of emails or. Or, you know, doing some other monotonous activity. I'm excited about watching the Golden State Warriors play. Or I'm excited about doing this podcast. Or or excited about something else. Then I find it very easy to be present. But to your point, I think that's what made Michael Jordan so unique. Is that he could just do that all the time. Like, I... I don't know about you. i I fully believe that if Michael Jordan was still playing today, with all the social media and all that sort of stuff, he he could still be as present and as effective as he was back then.
0: I totally agree. I think we would probably learn a lot more about him of how he went from one place to the other yeah. and being present, because I think he had a quite a you know outside of basketball. You know did. You know, a lot of things that, you know, most people don't know about and probably don't care about too much because every time he stepped on the court, he was there, he was ready to go. I think that's one of the big knocks like on LeBron, right? He doesn't have that killer instinct. Yeah. And it's not because LeBron isn't good, but maybe it's not that killer instinct. Maybe it's being present in that moment because I think you, you do see that out of LeBron. You do see him take over games. You do see him be present. But, you know, MJ just kind of had that you know, from the, from the start. And I think, you know, you brought up email and I think one of the best lessons I learned in being present in a moment was, you know, say you've got an office or, you know, even a cubicle or whatever, and you're typing away and someone comes up to talk to you. If you can finish kind of typing out what you're doing in, you know, 30-ish seconds, have that person wait. Just be like, hey man, like I want to give you my full attention. Let me finish this up real quick. And then I'm, I'm, going to, you know, full attention to you. Yeah. And I think that has really helped me build relationships with coworkers, with the people around me, and actually give me some presence. Because now I'm working on this one task, finish it up, and now 100% of my attention is is on that person. I wish I could move that over to my, my personal and, and kind of family life a little bit better, but it's all, you know, kind of stuff that I'm working on.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I do, um, that has, has helped me recently is I love to listen to music. So, you know, on the ride into work or the ride home, I'm always listening to music. But what I've found lately is that the music is even starting to cloud my mind. So I've switched to listening to music without words. And sometimes it's movie scores. Other times it's like classical music or it's just like an instrumental, really kind of mellow beat, and it's helped me to try to to, to kind of clear my mind so that when I get home, I am now ready to go inside and uh, to do my best to be fully present with what my wife is wanting for me, what, what my kids want, and all that sort of stuff, because I think that's, to tie it back to relationships for a second, that's one of the one of the main things that you can do in any relationship is just to be present, and sometimes yeah, that's absolutely. the most powerful thing is being present. I know it is for for me and my kids. Like, I could buy them all the stuff in the world, and if I if I could, I would. But that would not that would not replace me not being there,
0: yeah, and sure. not
1: paying attention to them when they're when they're like, Daddy, 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 look at this, yeah. look at this, look at this, and I'm like, yeah. Hey, yes, hang on a second. I'm doing something else. I'm on my phone or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I think just whatever a person has to do to clear their mind or empty their mind or get to a place where they can center themselves so that they can be as present as possible in the moment. You know, that's that's got to happen.
0: Absolutely, I think you hit on I think two life hacks. One. If you are ever like, if you're in academia and you're writing papers or anything like that, uh, music scores or movie scores, the best way to get them done. Yeah. Uh, I find myself like, you know, you'll be in the middle of like typing, and you'll like start typing with the beat almost. It's like the dramatic scene yeah. music kind of gets <laughs> yeah. you get you going. But uh, that's that's a hack right there for anyone that's uh, writing some papers. And then the number two thing that I think is really awesome is you know you talked about on your way home from work clearing your mind trying to get present so when you walk in the door you're in husband and dad mode and work is behind i think that like if if there's one like lesson even kind of outside of of last dance that hopefully people will will start to take from from us that we learned from last dance still the being a present thing is Find something that will help you clear your mind to leave work at work. Soon you walk in that door at home, you're 100% present. You're 100% there. Absolutely. And I think like that to me is, is awesome. The last little nugget from that whole kind of uh, talk in Last Dance that I want to bring up was the fact that they mentioned that MJ didn't let things outside of his control worry him. And it, kind of the, the paraphrasing of a quote is he didn't worry about missing shots he hadn't taken. And I think that's another great idea of and kind of mindset behind being present. Yeah. I am going to do the things that I have right in front of me. Whatever is to come is to, to come. But I can't let that worry me right now. I've got to do this this one thing. And I'm gonna do it as as well as I can.
1: Yeah, ooh, we dropped dimes today, you guys.
0: Yeah, go watch, go rewatch Last Dance. See if you've got any other dimes. Hit us up on social media. Uh, we are at uh, at Dropping Dimes on Twitter. Yep. And we will, uh, you know, hopefully look to interact with you and uh, learn from you as well as you drop some dimes uh, back to us. So for us a dropping down's pair uh dropping paradigms podcast we're out man
1: see you guys